last night, I was in uh, I was at the discipleship house over here, and just going over the sermon. And we had guys in our small group, Jack and I. We had guys kept coming in, and one of them came in. He asked that he suggested I incorporate John three sixteen into this message. I have no idea how I would incorporate it, but I want to honor that. So Seth, where are you at? Seth, John three sixteen. Now, in the book of Philippians. We've been going through the book of Philippians all weekend, and Henry's done a remarkable job preaching the word of God. And what I love about the church in Philippi is that this is a city that is named after King Philip, the father of Alexander the Great. It attracts men that we see as tough guys in society, former military leaders, people of of wealth and of power have been attracted to this city that is named after one of the most powerful men. And Paul knows this when he's writing to the church. He knows the need for humility in a city where there is a constant threat of pride and comparing yourself with the people beside you. And I love that the first point that Henry shared on, uh, on Friday night was in Philippians 2, where Paul's speaking, what does humility look like And he goes on to say, he says in point one, Christ is the ultimate example of humility. Before he even gets to that and shares what is the humility of Christ, he shares what it ought to look like for us. He's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of prideful desire for the self. Instead, Look to others. Count them as more significant than yourself. Look to their interests, not just your own. He's saying that for us. He's saying that for the church of Philippi. He's writing to believers. And then he goes on to say, what is the ultimate example of humility? Of course, it comes back to Christ. I think too often in the church, I myself included, I fail to comprehend and and remember that Christ who dwells in unapproachable light, the world was made through him, for him, and yet he humbled himself to a servant, died for sinners that disobeyed him. And so it comes back to Christ. And Paul's saying, have this mind. Have the mind of Christ. If he can humble himself from the status of the Son of God to a servant of men so that sinners can be exalted to saints, Paul's saying, what excuse do we have to not count others more significant than ourselves, to not look to their interests? Follow the example of Christ and have that mindset. That's the main point I'll be looking at, but I'm also summarizing from uh, yesterday's session, the morning session, which is in Philippians 3, that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. As Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, he's talking about, I have more reason to boast than any of you. He goes on to say, "I, I was circumcised. I'm of the holy people of Israel. God's chosen people. And then he says to them, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a notable tribe, 
King Saul is from that tribe, the first king of Israel. And then he goes on to say, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Of all these holy people, of God's chosen people, I was holy among them. As to the law, a Pharisee looked up to, educated. As for his actions and his passion, he persecuted the church. He's saying, I believed in what I did. When I was Saul and of a former life, I was passionate about serving God. As to the law, he was blameless, he said. He lived what many, what all Hebrews would say is the perfect life, the life we strive for. But Paul goes on to say, I counted all this nothing. To me, that's rubbish. Compared to knowing Christ, I would give it all away. And he did. But it brings back a story that I think of in, in Luke chapter 18 of a man who could not give it all away. We see Paul who, who yeah, he gave it all away to follow Christ, to know what it means to, to follow Christ. But there is a man in Luke chapter 18, a rich young ruler who comes to Christ and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Christ is speaking to him and he's listing off some of the commandments but if you, if you remember Christ, he doesn't say the commandment, you shall not hold other gods before me. Because as we see, this young man idolizes money. Christ says to him, follow these commandments. The young man says, I have since I was young. So Christ gives him one more thing to let go of. All his possessions says, if you would follow me, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young man turns away. He couldn't let go. He followed most of the commandments, but he wasn't all in. Christ wanted everything, and the man stopped just short. We see the example of Paul who gave it all to know Christ. And we see an example of a rich young man who thought giving 90% was enough, who thought maybe 99% was enough. But Christ says the greatest commandment is to love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Every bit of it. The third point that Henry made was that Changed life inspires life change. And I love that because it shows the significance of, of the order. If you look at the verses in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, it says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself, that there is sanctification occurring. But let's not forget what this verse is saying is that we are citizens, and so Christ changes us to look more like him. That our faith is when this process of becoming like Christ begins to occur. 
Henry used the quote, changed life inspires life change. Sometimes we get caught up on believing life change is what allows me to experience a changed life. We think we need to clean up before we come to Christ. We think that we need to get our act all together before we come to Christ, and then he will change our life. When Christ is speaking to a, a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, she hears he's eating at the house of a Pharisee, and so she goes there, and she's weeping, and she has nothing to give him except a little oil, and, and she uses her hair to wipe his feet and her tears to wash his feet. She has nothing, but what she does have, she'll use to honor him and to serve him. And, and he says to her, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisee says, who is this guy that he can forgive sin? But Christ goes on to say to her, your, your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. Recognize the order. Recognize the order in which Christ said that. He didn't say, stop sinning and then I'll forgive you. No, Christ did not say, go clean yourself up and then you are worthy of my presence. Christ said, come to me, I will forgive you, you who are seeking for it, and watch how I change your life and then you can focus on me cleaning you up. Changed life inspires life change. It is not the other way around. In Philippians 4.9, Paul says, what you have received from me, what I have taught you, what you have heard in me, and what you have seen in me, put it into practice. Now for those of you who are here with the conference, with D-NOW, we've received some knowledge. We've been learning about the mind of Christ. We've been hearing, we hear of what Paul speaks about Christ, but we haven't necessarily seen what it looks like. We haven't necessarily seen what the, what the humble mindset of Christ does. We've examined what it is, but I think we need to remember that there's a cause and effect relationship, that the humble mindset of Christ didn't stay to Christ. It permeated its way into his words and into his actions in his everyday life. You could see his humility by what he did. So I want to take it back to the Gospels. I want us to see that the humility of Christ exalted all those who sought after him. Those who were sick, those who were disabled, it exalted them physically. Those who were socially looked inferior, looked inferior socially, Christ exalted them. Most importantly for his followers, those of us who follow him, it exalts us spiritually. There's a cause and effect relationship that the humility of Christ leads to the exaltation of men. It's not just in the last day of Christ's life when he became, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It started long before that. 
the very first night where Christ was on this earth, the first day that an infant was on this earth, we have shepherds in a field and an angel appears to them. And I love using this, the shepherds. And an angel appears to them. For those of you that don't know, shepherds were considered spiritually unclean at this time. That there was a law that if you touched livestock or dead animals, you had to go spiritually cleanse yourself in what's called a mikvah, a pool of living water where it would wash away the sins and you'd be clean again, you're restored, you can go out spiritually, you're clean. But these shepherds are constantly, with their livestock, they are constantly touching dead animals. So what is the point of going to, to wash off if you're constantly in the mud 24 hours a day? So they just didn't do it. After a while, they started to be seen as spiritually unclean, unworthy, They were looked down upon. After a while, they're seen as untrustworthy. In fact, shepherds, their their testimony in court, it means nothing. It's counted as nothing. And so it's surprising that the very first night that Christ is born, who are the first people to go and witness and declare what has occurred that night? The very last people we would expect the lowest in society. The angel appears to to these shepherds and says, I have good news for you. For you. The very first night that Christ is on this earth, we already see the lowest of people are receiving good news. And it's not just shepherds that are seen as untrustworthy or unclean looked down upon, unpopular. We see it with the children who are young, so numerous that, that the disciples believe, man, this is hindering Christ's ministry. We need to get the children out of here. And Christ says, no, bring them to me. I don't care how young they are. In fact, they are the ones, you need to humble yourself like them to enter the kingdom of heaven. He wants the young children. He says, bring them to me. He weeps with the brokenhearted in John 11. Christ, he cares for the widows, for the lonely. He cares for the paralytics and the lame, the people who sit outside buildings and they're overlooked. People walk past them. What can you do for them? He cared for the overlooked and would heal them. He literally went to lepers who literally outcasts cast out of the city because of their disease, and he went to them. The outcasts, the tax collectors, seen as traitors, working for the Roman government, the empire that had conquered Israel, and here are Hebrews who are working for them. They were seen as as traitors to the Hebrews. And yet Christ says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm eating with you tonight. And he takes one to be one of his disciples. How about sinners? How he eats with them. How he forgives them. How he seeks and ministers to them. 
his disciples. Christ is greater than them. He is their teacher. He is Lord, and they know this. But what does he do? He, he does the action that a slave does for his master, and he washes their feet. All 12, including Judas. When he knew that Judas would betray him and give him up to be crucified that night, Christ washed his feet. Christ served even Judas. And how about this one? He prayed for his enemies. The Romans that crucified him, that tortured him, ridiculed and mocked him. And he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We see that the humility of Christ, the love of Christ, it's not just for those that he loves. It's not just for those that do good. Not just for those that love him, but it is for all. He sought out the lowest. He sought out the unpopular and the dirty shepherds, the young children, the brokenhearted, the lonely, the overlooked, the outcast, the despised, the wicked, those that were lower than him. And he even prayed for those who despised him. The humility of Christ. The humility of Christ to care for all people every day. It's not just evident in how he carried our cross. It's evident in how he cared for us. The lowest of us. It brings me to a common theme. Point four. That where there is a humble person, there are exalted people. Where there is a humble person, there are exalted people. I want to ask you guys as the band comes up, when's the last time that you humbled yourself and imitated Christ in this manner? Guys, when's the last time that there was an unpopular kid at school that you sought after? Or sometime that you mourned with someone who's brokenhearted someone that's overlooked, you showed them that their interests are cared for. You sought after sinners to minister to them. How about those who are seen as, as despised? When's the last time that, that you showed them you see them as significant, even more significant than self? And how about this one? When's the last time you prayed for your enemies? When's the last time, I'm not just saying praying, Lord, change them and reconcile our relationship, but Lord, shower them in your forgiveness. Give them your grace, let them know you. When is the last time that you prayed that God would bless your enemies? If you haven't done these things to exalt others, can you honestly look at yourself and say, I've humbled myself? If we're not exalting others, have we humbled ourselves? Some of you students, 
you may be hearing this call for imitation and you may say, do you not know what that'll do to my reputation to hang around these people? And I do. Jesus, when he sat with sinners and ate with them, the Pharisees, the respected, those who were looked up to, the popular in Hebrew society, they would say, why is he with the sinners? They questioned him for who he spent time with ministering to. It is no different today. Your reputation will be questioned when you spend time with those whose society has rejected and outcast. Nonetheless, I do believe that there are students here, that there are people here who don't care about the reputation. As Paul said, I, don't, I count that stuff as loss. What man had to offer and how man saw me, I saw it as loss compared to knowing Christ and compared to making Christ known. I believe that there are people in here who say, it may, it may look bad upon me, maybe man will look down upon me, but I'm going to walk out of here with the equipped, equipped with the mindset of Christ's humility. And my actions, they will imitate Christ's humility. I'm gonna go out and display Christ's humility. I believe that there are people here who believe that, who will do that. And here's the thing, Christ had this mindset before he left heaven. Before he came into our world, he knew that he would humble himself to the status of a servant. It's no different for us when we go out into that world. We already have to have the firm conviction, I will serve. I will humble myself. I will empty myself and go and exalt others and show them how much they are cared for and loved, how they are significant and we care for their interests. That starts in here, not out there. So, I wanna ask those of you who that pertains to, who will commit yourself to going and showing the humility of Christ, I want you guys to come up. To come up here so I can pray for you. Because most, every altar call I've ever seen it's always about come forward. This one's about going out. If you want to show your brothers and sisters and your pastors, maybe your parents, I am committed to going and showing the humility of Christ, I want you guys to come forward so I can pray for you. Students, parents, whoever it would be. And don't just come up if your friends are coming up, but truly if you commit yourself to having the mindset of Christ. Students, pastors, and parents, look around and the people beside you, and your brothers and sisters. Hold them accountable and pray for them. Ask them, hey, when, when's the last time that you spoke to someone that is overlooked? Next Sunday, ask them, hey, when's the last time that 
that you sought out a sinner to minister to them. Hold one another accountable and pray for one another. We're a body of believers and we have the same mission to see Christ and all that he's done lifted higher and glorified. So let's hold one another accountable to that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that you poured out on Christ and Christ, the love that you pour out on us. The humility that brought you from the Son of God to a servant of men. Christ, the humility that sought out those that society rejected, despised, and didn't care for, and yet you said, these are the people that I've come for. I've come for the sinners. I've come for the sick. Those that are lowly, I have come for them. Christ, I thank you that you say the last shall be first and you display that with your actions, that you care for those who have a humble spirit, those who are looked down upon, those who are not welcomed into society are welcomed into your arms and your grace. I thank you for that, Christ. And Lord, it is my prayer that every one of us in here, that everyone here kneeling before me, that we would go out and we would have the mindset that is yours, Christ, the humble mindset that looked to others and lifted them up. All people of all problems lifted them up. May we display the humility that has been displayed to us. May we hold one another accountable, pray for one another, encourage one another, serve one another. May we look to the interests of those around us, not just ourselves. Christ, clothe us in your humility. And when the world sees us serving them, may they see you. May you be glorified, Lord. May you be glorified. Amen.